and then we'll get into the handout that you have, which is called The Eight Evil Thoughts or Maladies of the Soul. And this is kind of a different perspective coming from the Eastern Christian Church, both Catholic and Orthodox. The eight evil thoughts, you've heard of them before, we call them in the West the seven capital sins. So we'll go through that. I just wanted to kind of give you a context. So let's begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we ask for your grace and blessing upon us this day. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint our time together, that you would give us all the graces and blessings of your Holy Spirit, that we would have and grow in insight, and not just intellectual insight, but that insight which permeates the heart, so that our lives may be renewed, uh, set afire and aflame with your Holy Spirit, so that as Christian men and women, we may radiate the glory of God and draw others to your will, your salvation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I know Mr. Mahalik uh, has gone over the Beatitudes with you, I'm sure quite extensively. So uh, I'm sure you're well aware, but the Beatitudes are basically God's response to the eight evil thoughts. And again, we'll go through the eight evil thoughts. And the Beatitudes are the, are the fulfillment of man's true desire for happiness. So the Beatitudes are our natural response that God has planted within our own being, a desire for happiness. And this desire has God as its origin. St. Augustine says, we all want to live happily. In the whole human race, there is not one who does not assent to this proposition, even before it is fully articulated. Everything we do is kind of motivated and directed by this desire for happiness. Even our false uh, choice, motivation for sin. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I think I want to be in mortal sin today. I think I want to separate myself from God's saving grace. No one says that. We're choosing a good, but falsely or darkly, okay, when we choose sin. St. Augustine continues, How is it then that I seek you, Lord, since in seeking you, my God, I seek a happy life? Let me seek you so that my soul may live. For my body draws life from my soul, and my soul draws life from you. So the goal of human existence is the ultimate end of all human acts is God, who calls us to his own beatitude, the beatitude of himself in our filiation, our divine sonship, divine daughtership in the sonship of Jesus Christ. And then finally, God puts us in the world to know, to love, and to serve him, and so to come to paradise. The beatitude makes us partakers of divine nature and of eternal life. With beatitude, man enters the glory of Christ and is into the joy of the Trinitarian life into which we are drawn up. This is from the Catechism, paragraph 1721. So with the beatitude, we enter into the glory of Christ and into the joy of the life of the Trinity. So this created world is not our final end. It's written within our own very being. And the eight evil thoughts, which come from the other kingdom, the demonic kingdom, 
seek to undermine that, redirect it, and enslave us. And so that's what we're going to get into today. Not into enslavement and evil, but I mean, talking about the eight evil thoughts. (laughs) St. Paul tells us, In Romans chapter 7, verses 22 to 25, For I delight in the law of God in my inmost being, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind in making me captive to the law of sin which dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I said in today's homily, God is infinite, so every sin that we commit is an infinite offense against him. Well, we're finite creatures. How are we going to make up for our sin that's infinite? We can't. We need a Savior. And that's why Paul says, praise be and thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Christ came and delivered us, the second person of the Trinity took on human flesh. God made man. The infinite came to take on our infinite sin, something that we could not do. St. Teresa of Avila says in the interior castle, she says, well, believe me, if we don't find peace in our own house, meaning within ourselves, we will not find it outside. Let this war be ended. He didn't mess with this woman. (laughs) And we should have that same kind of staunch, Um, opposition to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. The whole context of this talk is basically you have two kingdoms at war over what the, the ancients understood as the core of the human person, the heart. You have the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, and they're at war over the terrain of your heart. You are the prize of victory. And so we have to understand that. Now we have, uh, from these eight evil thoughts, maladies of the soul. It's not a language that we're used to hearing, especially in the West. But the maladies of the soul, or the eight evil thoughts, are gluttony, lust, avarice, anger, sadness, interesting one, achadia, vainglory, and pride. Well, why are there eight in the East and only seven in the West? (laughs) We just sin less? I don't know. Well, basically what happened is St. Gregory the Great combined it, achadia, which is sloth, with sadness because they seem closely related to one another. Self-pity turning inward. Okay. But the West or the East has eight. And that's what we're going to use today. Okay, and that's all on your handout. And just in case we say, well, this, this, uh, this language seems a little bit um, strange to us. What are the maladies of the soul? You see from your handout, the maladies of the soul or the eight evil thoughts cloud the immediate knowledge of God. Immediate meaning that... Um, that time of contemplation with the Lord. There there, there aren't obstacles of our abiding with the Lord. We don't have true union with God fully perfected until heaven. 
But in this life, we can taste experiences of it and actually get to a point of, of union with the Lord. We go through the purgative, illuminative, and unitive stage in the spiritual life. Most of us aren't in the unitive. There may be some here who are. We're not going to talk about that today, but just so we can put it into a context that perhaps uh, you've heard, language that we've heard, okay? So the eight evil thoughts are how we actively cooperate with grace to rid ourselves through asceticism, awareness of these thoughts. Each one of us deals with probably all eight, but usually one, two, or three are dominant in our lives and they seek to enslave us, to hold us back, even to falsely give us a sense of freedom, whether that just be in sin that I do whatever I want, or we get to a point where we kind of plateau. You know, you've made some progress in the spiritual life, you're doing pretty well, um, and you kind of made friends a little bit with one of the eight evil thoughts, because it doesn't seem to really have a hold on you, because you're not going deeper to see its tentacles and how it's still controlling you. We'll, I'll talk and give you examples about that. There's a lot to cover here, and I only have 40 minutes, so this is like a difficult uh, assignment. But the eight evil thoughts cloud the immediate knowledge of God and a person's baptismal call to glorification. It's the journey of the soul from baptism to transfiguration. When I used to live in Arizona, the church that I went to, St. Anne's in Gilbert, Arizona, had two icons, large icons, on either side of the altar area. One was of the baptism of Jesus, the other was the transfiguration, and it really shows the journey of the soul from baptism to transfiguration. That you and I are called to grow in the image and likeness of God. That you and I are called to grow in what they call filiation, divine filiation. That we grow as beloved sons and daughters of God. We grow in his likeness. We love like him. We act like him. We grow in union with him. That's our call. It's not just about following the church's precepts. The church's laws are help, help us to have categories or boundaries by which that we know with assurity that we're living a good life, a holy life, kind of sets, a, um, sets up the groundwork to receive grace more and more. But our ultimate goal in the spiritual life is transfiguration, to be transfigured. Like bread and wine are transubstantiated, we're called to be transfigured. And when people see you, they encounter Christ. They encounter the, the living God through you. That's, that's the Christian call. The eight evil thoughts seek to undermine that, rob, steal, enslave you from your own destiny, your own call as heirs of Christ. In practice, the eight evil thoughts are idols that one is tempted to serve, a cheap substitute or sin, robbing the fulfillment of a legitimate human desire. Now let me just stop there. Okay, so you have a legitimate human desire. We all want to be loved. We all want happiness. You know, even the person who may sleep around quite a bit, who's dealing with one of the eight evil thoughts of lust, isn't desiring lust in itself. That person's desiring to be loved, just in a way that's disordered and enslaving. And they're willing to sell cheap for a relationship. I'm lonely, and so we compromise. You see how it works? 
The effects of the eight evil thoughts is to cloud and weaken the faculties of the soul. You know, darken our intellect, weaken our will. I'm sure Deacon Mahalik went over some of that. And thereby limit the true freedom of man, a freedom brought, bought at the price of Christ's own blood, and by right and inheritance of all the baptized as exemplified by the lives of the saints. We're all called to be saints. We all are saints right now. But are we heroically living our Christian life? And that's a question for all of us to ask ourselves. So what are these eight evil thoughts or afflictions or maladies of the soul? I love those terminologies because it puts it seven capital sins. It sounds rather juridical, you know. You have an offense against the Lord, there's a punishment. There's an understanding that's true. That's how we understand it in the West. But the East is more relational. My soul is sick and it needs a divine physician. So both understandings are helpful. Again, the eight evil thoughts are gluttony, lust, avarice, anger, sadness, achadia, which is also understood as sloth, vainglory, and pride. Vainglory, what's vainglory? It's like pride, but it's good to know the distinction. Pride is what I think of myself. Vainglory is my preoccupation of what you think of me. A lot of people suffer from that one. They think they're being prideful, but they're not. It's actually, they're being vainglorious. So again, pride is what I think of myself in relation to others. But vainglory is what I, my preoccupation, what you think of me. Again, it's, what is my, the emphasis? Pride is on me. Vainglory is on you. Related back to me. <laughs> okay. So there's different, like, what they call thoughts of the body. Let me, before I talk about that, these eight evil thoughts, in the Eastern Church, they call them logismoi, which is a Greek word that means uh, thoughts or suggestions, okay? You've seen parodies of this. If you remember back and you've watched cartoons on Saturday morning or Sunday morning when you were growing up, or if you're a little older than me when you were an adult <laughs> watching cartoons, um, you saw these characters and they have these little angels. One was dark, one was light. You know, do this. No, don't do this. Yeah, let's do this. It'll be fun. No, that'll be wrong. You know, there's a parody of, of logismoi. So it even permeates some of our culture. It's these inner thoughts or suggestions. Okay? So let me give you an example from my own life. After I had a second seizure, which probably was, uh, for me, internally, just really deflating, because the first one seemed like a fluke. There's no history of this in my family. And I had these logismoi, these inner thoughts. We'll talk about their origin in a moment. And the thoughts were, your priesthood's defective. Who's going to want you now? What are they going to do with you? And it was constant. Not every moment throughout the day, but frequently throughout the day, these thoughts, like little jabs, darts, they seek to deflate you. And it lasted for weeks. And part of the tactic of the evil one is to 
jab you with these thoughts to move away from God into self-pity or whatever of the eight evil thoughts, one of the eight evil thoughts. And then when the devil feels that he's gotten you to a point of being uh, in this war of attrition, weakened, then he suggests a solution to your problem. A solution. It's usually, and for me it was, well, how about this sin or that sin? This brought you comfort in the past. And you're at a point sometimes where it looks pretty good. Because, you know, you get to a point where there's self-pity maybe uh, coming into your life or you're angry about the situation you find yourself in and I have a right to this. We'll talk about that in a moment. And I, but I knew what was going on. So I never acquiesced. I never gave in. Then at Mass, uh, in early June of 2008, it's a month after my second seizure, I asked the Lord, why are you permitting this? I didn't ask in anger. I wasn't angry at the Lord. I just wanted to know why. And I immediately heard in my spirit his voice. And he said, because I desire to purify you even further. Well, I knew from Scripture that Scripture says, a father disciplines a son whom he loves. So in a way, the Lord was answering my prayer, because oftentimes when I receive communion, I'll say, purge for me all you find offensive. So he wanted to do a further purification. This just happened to be the means that he used. I don't think God caused it, Life circumstances, he's using life circumstances. Immediately when I heard those words, though, from the Lord, it's like someone turned on a light switch and these logismoi, like cockroaches, ran away. They were gone because they knew they were exposed. This is part of what we're going to do today and talk about some of our tactics. How are we going to deal with this? So we have these logismoids, these inner thoughts and suggestions. Let me read from you or to you from this book, it's an excellent book by Father Timothy Gallagher called The Discernment of Spirits. Okay? Father Timothy Gallagher, The Discernment of Spirits. And just in case you think, well, that's just Father Clockman's thing or some Eastern Christians I've never heard about, well, let's talk about St. Augustine. <laughs> He's a good Western doctor of the church. He talks about this as well. He talks about the time when he was first entering into a deeper conversion with the Lord and what was holding him back. And you'll hear the logismoi, okay? So let me read this to you. He said, this was, the nature, this was the nature of my sickness. I was in torment, reproaching myself more bitterly than ever as I twisted and turned in my chain. I hoped that my chain might be broken once for all because it was only a small thing that held me now. And you, Lord, never cease to watch over me, over my secret heart. In your stern mercy, you lashed me with a twin scourge of fear and shame in case that I should give way once more. And the worn and slender remnant of my chain should not be broken, but gain new strength and bind me all the faster. In my heart I kept saying, let it be now, let it be now. And merely by saying this, I was on the point of making the resolution. I was on the point of making it, but I did not succeed. Now most of us have had this. There's some sin in your life that just keeps you bound. And you've made progress against it. 
cooperating with grace, but it's like a slender, worn-out chain that still you're tethered to. He goes on. I stood on the brink of resolution. I tried again and came a little nearer to my goal and then a a little nearer still so that I could almost reach out and grasp it, but I could not reach it. I was held back by mere trifles, the most paltry inanities, all my old attachments. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered. These are logismoi right now. They whispered, are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, we will never be with you again forever and ever. The demons are very dramatic. (laughs) Everything's all or nothing with them, okay? So you're going to dismiss us? We're not going to be with you forever and ever. From this moment, you will never be allowed to do this thing or that forevermore. These voices no longer barred my way, blatantly contradictory, because he tasted the freedom of God. But he was still held and chained to some of his sin. These voices no longer barred my way, blatantly contradictory, but their utter mutterings seemed to reach from behind as though they were stealthily plucking at my back, trying to make me turn my head when I wanted to go forward to God. Yet in my state of indecision, they kept me from tearing myself away, from shaking myself free of them, and leaping across the barrier to the other side where you were calling me. But now... I had turned my eyes elsewhere, and while I stood trembling at the barrier, on the other side I could see the chaste beauty of countenance in all her serene, unsullied joy as she modestly beckoned me to cross over and to hesitate no more, because his dominant sin was lust. So now he's seeing chastity, continence. She stretched out her loving hands to welcome and embrace me, holding up a host of good examples in my sight. With her were countless boys and girls, great numbers of the young and people of all ages, and in their midst was countenance herself, not barren, but a fruitful mother of children, of joys born of you, O Lord, her spouse. The devil will tell you lies. If you go into chastity, if you give up lust, you're not going to have any pleasure. Life has no meaning, or you won't have children, whatever that may mean. Okay? Countenance smiled at me and gave me courage as as though she were saying to me, can you not do what these men and women do? Do you think that they find strength to do it in themselves and not in the Lord their God? Why do you try to stand in your own strength and fail? Cast yourself upon God and have no fear. He will not shrink away and let you fall. Cast yourself upon him without fear. For he will welcome you and cure Cure all of your ills. You see the language he's using? Maladies of the soul. And what were his dominant maladies? So again, you see from our handout, we have some of these maladies before us. There's logismoi, or thoughts of the body for food, sex, and things, you know? Um, Or thoughts of the mind, anger and sadness. Thoughts of the soul, achadia, again, which is sloth, vainglory and pride. 
Now, just for your own information, the reason we use achadia and not sloth is because in the West, we kind of think of sloth as just laziness, which it is, but it's a lot more than that, and achadia kind of tries to encapsulate that. Achadia is it's, it's a temptation not to continue to pursue the life of virtue and to continue to pursue living a Christian life in its practice, whether that be prayer, the sacraments. You know, we all may be from families. How come I'm the only one that still goes to church? You know, so-and-so, they're married. They seem to have a good family. Nothing seems to be bothering them. Why do I have to worry about all of them and pray for all of them? This is a, a Chadia talking to you. Maybe I should just give up too and just go on Sunday. I don't, why bother with daily mass? What difference does it make anyway? I seem to be the one who's suffering more than they are. Why do I have to carry their burdens and mine? That's a Chadia. Probably mixed with a little sadness. Self-pity is what sadness would be, self-pity. You see a little anger in there too. Hmm. Yeah, they all like to work in tandem, but they're rather competitive. The, the demonic is very competitive. They all want a little piece of you. So you have to know their voices, and you have to know who they are. And most of us walk around, have never heard a presentation like this, and you start to realize, hey, that's, that's my life. Um, I've heard these voices. You've all heard the logismoi in your life. For sometimes it starts off with some people, we'll talk about this in the second, uh, second presentation, like for lust, for example. You know, you, you're stressed out a little bit. You start eating a little bit more junk food. You start isolating yourself from your friends and family. You spend too much time with, uh, on television or the internet. And then you look for comfort. And in case you think that this is all something unique to human beings, our Lord, taking on human flesh, suffered from this as well. All you have to do is look at Luke's Gospel. Chapter 4, verse 13. This is just after he was baptized. He went out into uh, the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, was tempted. And then there's a curious, very curious and insightful Verse, chapter thir or verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what these maladies of the soul, the eight evil thoughts do, if I can give an analogy, would be like the devil goes out fishing or his minions. Throw a little bobber in front of you. They've been observing you all of your life. They know you better than most of us know ourselves. The angelic and, and, of course, God himself has also been observing us and knows us even far better than the evil one. But the evil one observes you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows by observing you when you're ripe for a fall. So he'll just maybe go fishing, put a little temptation on the end of a hook, put a little bobber in front of you and just plop it in front of your face and see if you're going to nibble, if you're ripe. And if you start giving in, then he'll start to bombard you with logismoi, breaking you down. 
I'll talk about this, how this all works. So, where do these thoughts come from? Well, they come from pre uh, three principal sources as the Eastern Fathers understand. From our own memories or desires or experiences. This is why the church tells us to avoid the near occasion of sin. Not because she's trying to make us a bunch of prudes, but because then we have less to battle with. You know, if you're on the internet looking at internet porn, you have all those memories to battle with then against the, uh, the logismoi of the voice of lust. And it'll come up at the most unusual times. You know, the middle of work, watching a football game. What does that have to do with lust? Hmm. Again, the devil is just tempting you. He's just fishing, seeing if you're ripe. Some of these logismoi also come from God as inspirations of the Holy Spirit. And others come from evil sources outside of oneself, meaning the devil, the fallen angels. In this book on discernment of spirits, again, that I pointed out before by Father Gallagher, he has a little bit more of an expansive definition of, of what would spirits would be. Some of these are also just your fallen nature and your redeemed nature. Sometimes it's other people in your life who seem to have influence over you for good or for evil. Or it's just the fallen world. So not everything is like demons and angels and Sometimes it's just the fallen world in which we live in. Or people who have, they're an inspiration to us because they're further down the road of the spiritual life and they call us to the heights of sanctity. Those also can be, in a certain sense, spirits or logismoi. Not in the way that we're talking, but I wanted to expand it so you just don't think that it's just this narrow definition. How do these thoughts progress? What happens is, again, like the analogy I gave you, the devil goes out fishing, puts a little hook, a little bait in front of you, the bobber's just holding it on the top of the water, you're swimming around innocently, it's a Saturday morning, nothing's happening, and this thought comes to you. You could be working on your computer, like I always tell the guys at the seminary, you're working on a philosophy paper, it's hardly sexy, you know? And this lewd thought comes to you. You can almost tell where it comes from like from behind you to the right, from the corner of the room. You can tell. Sometimes we're not that discerning, but we can tell at times where it's coming from. Sometimes it seems to come from without, sometimes it seems to come from within. Okay. So thoughts, if they're attended to, you have this logismoi, this thought. Let's use something else like, um, Someone really irritates you and has always irritated you and there's unforgiveness in your heart, really, toward this person. And there's anger there. And this thought comes of this image of this person and what they've done. And maybe you have a certain right of anger over what, what had occurred to you. But this thought comes to you. And if you allow it to take root, these will form into feelings. Feelings will be stirred up. You'll remember that incident, that past, what she said, you know? And feelings then start to coalesce into desires. It starts to mature. And desires evolve and arouse the passions. Dr. Mahalik talked about the passions. That's what the eight evil thoughts are, they're the passions. 
Now all of a sudden, anger is raging in you. And the passions aroused lead to a question of your will. Will you consent or not to sin? This is why what we do then is we don't, your, um, your arsenal in grace is to not allow the thought to take root. You acknowledge it and you bring it right to the foot of the cross. I call it boomerang theology, you know. The devil throws something at you and you give it right back at him. Not on your own strength because we're not strong enough, but in Christ we're strong. So he throws a temptation at me. I don't let it take root. I bring it to the cross. I give it to Christ. Redeem this thought. Lord, teach me, show me. What is the root of this in my life? Where do I need to repent? Is this a truth or is it a lie? Am I attached to this lie? Is it part of my identity? Am I holding on to it? These are things that you bring to the Lord at the foot of the cross. The devil hates that because he wants to lead you to sin, not to God. So the boomerang back is, I go to God. You don't let the thought take root. The way to master thoughts is to notice them early, often, and consistently, and to respond to them deliberately. It's on your sheet. Okay. It's page seven from this wonderful book. See if I've got it here. Yeah. I would get it if I were you. There's two of them. Her name is uh, rather funny, but um, it's called Tools Matter for the Spiritual Life by Sister Margaret Mary Funk. <laughs> so you won't, you won't forget her name. <laughs> it's an excellent little book. It's kind of a synopsis of some of this that I'm teaching you today. And she has um, another book with that as well. So these eight evil thoughts, this is what happens to us. Like the, uh, the monks on Mount Athos who are Greek Orthodox monks, they've been practicing this, as have uh, the Orthodox East, as have Catholics throughout our 2,000-year history of the church, been practicing our understanding of the eight evil thoughts. One of the modern monks say, Mount Athos is this island in Greece that only men are allowed on, only men who are consecrated. They can have visitors, but only male visitors who go to the hermitages to pray. And so in the modern era, there'll be airplanes flying overhead. These monks, they don't have televisions, they don't have the internet, they don't have cell phone, none of that. They're all distractions. What they're looking at is union with God. And so they're very aware of these logismoi happening in life. And one of the monks said, the logismoi, the eight evil thoughts, are like an airplane. I can notice it flying overhead. I just don't build a runway for it to land. Okay? So we do the same thing. You have to notice, as I do, what are our dominant sins in our life? What's a good place to start? If you go to confession on a regular basis, and I would really highly and strongly encourage you to do that, we understand that the sacrament of reconciliation is the primary matter is mortal sin. But you know as well as I do that we can feel if you're on the road of spiritual life and you're growing in the spiritual life, you know that there are times when you're not in mortal sin, but you can sense kind of a chipping away at your resolve to remain holy and to pray. 
that'd be a good time to go to confession because there's usually venial sins that we're aware of. Even St. Augustine says, venial sin, although they be light as a feather, do not take them lightly, for enough feathers on the scale can tip the scale. Venial sin chips away at our resolve for love of God and love of neighbor. And that's where the devil can constantly look to see if you're falling slowly into venial sin, this is slowly preparing you to fall into mortal sin. Possibly, doesn't mean it's a, it's a done deal. But if you go to a confession on a regular basis, you'll find yourself confessing the same sin over and over and over and over and over again. And you don't seem like you're making much progress in it. And part of it is probably because the tentacles of that sin are deep and there's other things that need to be looked at. So, um, you may find yourself that uh, on the eight evil thoughts that one of these sins seems really dominant. That'd be a good place to start. But be aware that that may not be your dominant sin. So let me give you an example. Someone may think that in our day, because our, our culture worships sex, that their main uh, sin is lust. Because they're confessing that a lot at, at the sacrament of confession. But as they grow in the spiritual life, they realize their real issue is vainglory. They want to be reassured that they're loved. Lust is just a byproduct, just happens to be working in tandem, is the obvious one. But underneath is vainglory. Or you may be prideful, but underneath that is really anger. The Desert Fathers, the fathers of the Eastern Church will say that Lust, gluttony, and anger often, not always, but often work in tandem with one another. Okay? So you may go to confession and say, you know, I fell into impurity, Father. There's really anger there, coveting your neighbor's wife or spouse, their goods, their body, and you're angry. Because what usually happens with in my experience of the logismoi is that you get to a point where you, almost, you rationalize it. There's a certain kind of self-righteous anger. Yeah, I do all of this. I give a lot to the Lord, you know, or I feel self-pity, or maybe there's a day of sadness, and you almost rationalize it with yourself because you've allowed the thoughts of the logismoi to take root. Now they're fermenting. And you get to a point, like when it comes to lust is a good example, again, that what I gave you before. You know, you're isolating yourself, you're stressed out, you start noticing that you're overeating junk food, um, you're watching too much TV, sloth is entering your life, uh, then you start looking for some type of consolation, and you, you start eating too much, gluttony is in there. And then you start to desire, um, oh, some type of comforting release, because the food isn't enough. And so you look at impurity, and then what happens oftentimes with the logismoi is that you self-righteously say to yourself that you deserve this after all. That's anger speaking. It's not righteous anger, it's self-righteous, unrighteous anger. And that's where you allow yourself in this, where you see on your handout progression of thoughts, that's where you're at the, the questioning stage, question of the will. Your intellect's been darkened, you've convinced yourself. Anger is speaking to you, and I have a right to fall into lust. I'm married and my, my wife just doesn't seem to be interested in sex as much. Well, it's something to talk about and 
discuss with each other, but that's where we can rationalize. Well, a little thing on the internet, you know, I'm not technically with somebody. That, that's not of the Lord, <laughs> obviously, but we convince ourselves that it, that it is, okay? So, God is the object of our pursuit, and love is the means of that pursuit. We desire happiness, the Beatitudes, and virtue is the way that we get there. Vice, the eight evil thoughts, rob us, steal us from our inheritance and what God has written within our own hearts. And that is happiness with him. You know, you've had the experiences of tastes of God. Sometimes they're brief. Sometimes you're in prayer and unannounced. He seems to visit you and just abide there. That's just a little taste of heaven. What a relationship with God of a man and woman who are, are virtuous, prayerful, deeply in love, living the Beatitudes. That's what life should be like. But there's a battle, and there's another kingdom who doesn't want you to get there, and they don't like it, and they fight hard and furiously and most of us are sitting ducks because we don't know ourselves well enough. St. Teresa of Avila says the first step toward holiness is self-knowledge. So reflecting on your life, what maladies of the soul do I deal with? Is it gluttony? Is it lust? Is it avarice or greed? Anger, sadness, which you could feel like dejection or self-pity. Is it a chadia that I'm just tempted just to give up a pursuit of virtue? Vainglory, I'm preoccupied with what you think of me. Or pride. You may say to yourself, I've got all eight of them. <laughs> you are so good at sin. Um, most of us have dabbled in all eight. But as you continue to reflect on your life, frequenting confession, if you have a spiritual director, you'll start to see that one, two, or three are more dominant. They feed off of each other, and they try to find your areas of weakness, unforgiveness, lies that you believe about yourself. I'm not beautiful, no one loves me. Vows that you've made. I can't trust anyone, so I'll do everything myself all rooted in wounds, usually from early childhood to teenage years. And the devil wants to keep them unhealed and festering. So all he has to do is just poke the wound. And if you're an unreflective person, the logismoi will start, and you'll allow them to mature into feelings, desires, passions, and you fall into sin again. And it seems like God abandons you. The reality, he's there, he's present. We're just not making use of the arsenal. David slayed Goliath with one smooth stone from a wadi. What are your five smooth stones? That's what David picked up and put in his little pouches. But he only needed one. We have to know ourselves well enough to be confident in the Lord and to know where our weaknesses are. Again, the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence, and the violent take it by storm. 
radical self-honesty is that violence. So what we're going to do right now, on the bottom of your sheet, you'll see a whole variety of possible ways to um, work against um, logismoi in your life. But what we're going to do is there's a, there's a second handout, which is called an examine prayer. Has that been handed out to them? Yeah, you have it. You're going to look at that, and that's what we're going to do for our breakout session. You're going to follow that through. I didn't write it. It's just something I copied off. Um, no author was seemed to be given from that, so I'm not sure who is the author of it. But in Ignatian spirituality, the examine prayer is something you can do every day. Short or as long, and you can do it as frequently throughout the day. But it keeps your spiritual life in perspective. It helps you grow in self-knowledge of where you're failing, but also where God's grace, his presence, the gifts, the charisms, and the Holy Spirit that you've been given are also evident in your life so you can be in gratitude. So either way you win with the examined prayer. You may say, Lord, I failed to love God and neighbor this way. Mea copa, have mercy on me. And if it's a, a serious sin to go to confession, if it's a, a light infraction, ask for forgiveness at the foot of your bed, at your desk at work, Lord, have mercy. But now you're growing in self-knowledge and you're seeing what pokes you. Wow, I had an inordinate response to that person's comment to me. Why am I so defensive? It's a good, oh, logismoi. Something's happening there. Examine prayer will help you to examine that. And then, where have I loved God and neighbor well today? To examine those places where you responded well, you can repeat them in the future, and now you're growing in your arsenal of how to respond. This worked well. I, I chose my words carefully. I didn't let my, the passion of anger dictate my speech. I was pointed, forthright, but charitable. And that's okay. You don't have to be Minnesota nice to get to heaven. <laughs> okay? So that's what we're going to do. So we examine prayer. How much time do they have? Okay. So 15 minutes, just do this on your own. You can either remain here or spread throughout. And I think you can also be in the, the foyer, Eric. Sure. You can be in the common area outside the sanctuary. Or we've got five of the classes set up back here. They are empty. You're willing to go in there if you'd like. And that's your privacy. Okay. And there is coffee still available. Let's, uh, let's finish with prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we are so grateful to you that you never cease to love us. You never cease to pursue us. As St. Teresa of Avila says, that you are so madly in love with us that you pursue us even up to the very gates of hell if we des desire to go there. To convince us of your love, of your passion, um, to live a life with you. Lord, we come here because we seek and thirst. And during this time of uh, breakout session, we ask that you would anoint each one of us with deep spiritual insight into common patterns of our life that lead us from you so that we can grow in self-knowledge and not be um, at the disposal of the evil one in his kingdom, but be true sons and daughters of you, growing in your image, growing in likeness, growing in holiness, fervency of virtue, so that we too may shine with the very light of Christ, be filled with your spirit, and give glory to you, Father, so that we can hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.